we, we think we've identified the problem. So, you know, 50th time's a charm uh, yeah, for, exactly. for DJ. But you, you'll lead the R&R? Yeah, I could, do, I could lead the R&R if you want. Yeah. Jeez, I've only got one. Well, yeah. shocking. That's okay. Is, is, is it a good one? No. Okay. Don't be, don't be, the, don't be the Williams sisters either. Because <gasps> <laughs> it was kind of fat. Okay. All right. That's fine. Do it. Hey, we're just happy you're with us, PJ. Happy you're here. All right, Connor, we're ready. Hey there, Squash fans, and thanks for coming back to another episode of The Breakdown with myself, Connor O'Malley, and my co host, Bill Buckingham, and PJ Paul Johnson. And we are back. The magical squash stars aligned, and we snuck in another recording session. In this episode, we are joined by Sabrina Sobi, who is one of the most decorated Team Yosei players in history, already at a young age of 25. She set records like being the youngest to ever win the U.S. Junior Championships, the U.S. Women's Championships, and after a thriving college squash career at Harvard, she's now set her sights on the professional squash tour, where she's already cracked the top 20. Along the lines of setting headlines and records, we talk about Sabrina's historic win against the Egyptian world number two at the recent U.S. Open, which is likely to be one of the biggest upsets in Team USA history. We talk about Sabrina's training, how she's working on her mental game, and what she does off-court in her free time, including her love of art and drawing. In the R&R section, inspired by having one of the squash siblings on, we each give our picks of other siblings who've had an impact on the world. It was great to have Sabrina on, and we hope you enjoy it too. A quick thank you to our sponsor, Pro Sport LED, your trusted lighting source for racket sports facilities, like squash, tennis, pickleball, or padel, because of its advanced LED lighting technology. These lights are a perfect solution for anyone building a new facility, but they can easily be retrofitted into existing courts. If you're looking for lights or know anyone that is, please go ahead and connect us at squashradio at gmail.com. That's squashradio at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed the show. What about this? This call is being recorded. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of The Breakdown with my co-hosts Bill Buckingham and PJ Paul Johnson. Welcome back, guys. Thanks, Connor. Welcome back. Hi, Connor. How are you? Doing good. Well, we were all just in Philadelphia together, but we, we basically weren't in the room at the same time. That never no. happened. I, I PJ always threatens to go out to dinner with me. He always I lead up to all these tournaments that I go to that he always says, Oh, that's so awesome. You're gonna be there. We should do dinner. And then it's like come time dinner. PJ's either yeah, not there busy. or I say, Hey PJ, you want to go to dinner? No, I can't. Oh, I'm going yeah. out with so and so, I'm going so and so. So never get to go out to dinner with PJ, but that's fine. I, that I is, found that's because of the work schedule, Bill, right? Some yeah. of us we're down there with a bit of a purpose. So okay. Yeah. We yeah. I want to go twelve. Some evenings we finish at eight, other evenings we finish at 11. So it's kind of taken out of my control. Yeah. You guys roll in at like five minutes before the matches start. You throw your headphones on, you enjoy, you <laughs> blather on for six minutes and you talk, like you say the same things over and over again. Tough looking camera ready all the time. It's true. Okay? The white t-shirt, with the white t-shirt. By the way, so, uh, I, won't, I, won't, I won't forecast who our guest is, but our guest, look at PJ right now, wearing his white t-shirt. Yeah, much. He, he, wears, he wears the white t-shirt for every podcast indistinguishable what episode it is but to be fair i mean i wear the the sweatshirt a lot you so. do you do and i wear a hat because my hair is usually a mess but that's okay well we uh let's bring our guest on who is one of the most successful uh team usa players in history already at a young age has had one of the most distinguished junior careers ever 
being one of five women or junior women to win three national titles in a row. Went on one of the youngest winners of the U.S. Uh, championship, distinguished career in college. It goes on and on. But we're going to welcome on the 25-year-old, originally from New York, Sabrina Sobe, who is currently world-ranked number 19. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. That was a very generous introduction. I thought you were talking about Marina Stefanoni for a minute. I was like, whoa, Marina <laughs> Stefanoni? <on>? Holy cow. <laughs> she's, she's like in high school, exactly. isn't she? Exactly. <laughs> when I was going through it, I was like, I had to double check the age. I was like, oh my gosh, you've done all that by age 25. How does that feel? It feels good. Like, I don't know. I, I was, I mean, PJ asked me to send him some of my records in college. And to be honest, like I had to check them because they're not on the top of my head. And I don't think they... They ever really will be so i just kind of i don't know it feels like three different segments of my life and right now i'm in my professional career and that's kind of what's the most important to me right now i remember when you were 15 i believe you were 15 playing in the 2011 worlds you were playing number three if i'm not mistaken is that correct um when the worlds got moved to boston the junior world the junior world yeah <laughs> yeah so tell me no, tell me this like, I get asked all the time because obviously uh, um, Nora Altayev and Nora Al-Sharbini played one and two. Who played number three? Who'd you play against? It? I played and we played Egypt in the finals, and I played against Habiba. Uh, no, um, Heba Torki, I think. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I She's like a trivia question, like who was the third on that yeah. team, you know, because obviously yeah. the Sherbini and Tayeb was like, holy crap, what a team. And like, who who was third? And the, yeah. poor, poor, poor Al-Torki just gets thrown out, thrown out with the wind, unfortunately. <laughs> Shout out El Turkey wherever you may be at this point. Did she, she play? On tour, she went pro for a few years, right? El Turkey. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, I think, so. I think she's out in DC. If I. Oh really? No. Correctly, so. yeah. Maybe she's that, listening. Time... <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. At the squash on fire, I feel like I I run into her a few times. Cool. Did she talk I... to you about beating her? About you beating she beating mm -hmm. you in the finals? She doesn't like point her fingers. Like, I got you when you were fifteen. <laughs> no, no, no. She okay. would never. All right, all right. I, I would do that, unfortunately. I feel like you bring her up a lot on the pod. Heba, Heba El Torki. <laughs> yes, her and Nada Abbas are my two favorite Egyptian players. Two favorite, yes. Yeah. Just because their names, names. Nada Abbas has the best name ever. All right, well, let's let's get into the show. And Bill, uh, we're bringing back the ratings and rankings. It's been a little bit, so uh, walk us through. This has been your brainchild. We're still trying to catch up to the treadmill you're on, and um, tell us tell us what we're trying to do. Well, because some of the shows we've been doing lately, I've been told by our listeners lack in humor, and I mean, obviously, that's mostly the fault of you and PJ. Obviously, so um, we figured we'd do something that would lend and actually bring some not quite natural humor, but some actually um, maybe some organic humor, um, if that's an opposite of natural to the show. So we're going to come back with a ratings and rankings. And instead of doing three each, we're going to do one each. So this doesn't go on forever. And uh, we don't keep Sabrina, Sabrina <laughs> listening to our nonsense for too long. So but in honor of Sabrina being here. So I don't know if anybody knows. I don't know if our listeners how well they know the sport of squash. Sabrina has an older sister who plays squash. Um, not quite as accomplished as Sabrina. She's, she's okay out there. She, she, she bats the ball around, if you will. I appreciate um, that. I appreciate yeah, no, that. no, no, no problem. Um, the, yeah, we have the, the much better Sobe sister on right now, which is, you know, yes. credit to us for, for getting the correct one on. Um, so Sabrina's sister, Amanda, um, leads me to have this topic for our ratings and rankings section. Name, in your mind, historical, fictional, sports-related or non-sports-related, famous, brother combo or sister combo and why you think they're uh, so why they are so significant so um 
we usually start this out with the guest. So we're going to throw this to Sabrina and she's going to pretend no, she didn't no. know about we, we, Unless she wants to, you can. Oh, she's ready. She's ready. Yeah. I can tell. Right. You ready? Okay. She's ready. Okay. I'm very pleased you dropped this earlier before we started because I had to quickly think of something. But I'm going to go the fictional route and say the Weasley twins for many, many reasons. I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. I think they are the best, like one of the most underrated characters in the whole Harry Potter series. They're humorous, they're brave, they are admirable, and they're the two people that I'm gonna say for this R and R session. <laughs> I'm actually really, really impressed. I like that. I like PJ, that. PJ, any idea who they are? Never even seen Harry Potter. <laughs> oh come on, is it English? No way. You know what? Let's start with this. Do you know what Harry Potter is? Do I know what it is? No. Does he need some kid who flies around on a broomstick or something? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And you're English. What are you doing? I know. No, I just don't watch those kind of films. Well, there are, there are books too, by the way. Oh, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't read. Definitely doesn't read. I know what Harry Potter is. Um, I, I know the movies in the book. I've never read any of them. I have no idea who the Wheezy twins are, but I, I appreciate the fact that you brought you brought somebody. <laughs> Fred up and I, George. Fred and George. And are they Harry's friends? There are. Yeah, they are. So Ron is Harry's best friend. Okay. Ron Weasley and um, Fred and George are his older brothers. And, and where and then, do they fit in with the the girl who like went to Brown, who like all the kids stalked, all the Ivy League kids stalked for years? Um, Emma or, Watson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, is, um, she, is she part of that group also? Well, yeah. Okay, so that's my only knowledge of Harry Potter is, <laughs> is all the all the all Wow, the books. I thought you guys were all gonna yeah. be Harry Potter. You're dealing with old people. I'm this 60. Like, come on. So it's timeless. The, like, the next thing they're gonna like, we have a series of tech questions we're gonna ask you. <laughs> exactly. What is this tech? Could you tick help us with? Could, could you help us with some Excel questions we have, Sabrina? <laughs> Question on the Harry Potter. Do you prefer the, the movies or the books? The books. The books and like, how big of a fan? Like scale one to ten. I mean, I just think it's a whole brilliant idea. It's a 10 out of 10 in my books. 10 out of 10. <laughs> and movies, all of them. Right. Everything's a 10 out of 10. No, no. I mean, hey, you, you can't argue. My wife's a, an educator, and she said that Harry Potter did more for uh, having compelling children to read than any other, uh, any other thing that That's... happened in her whole career. She said her kids who, you know, have reading uh, disabilities anyways would be found in like the corner of the school, like curled up with a Harry Potter book type of thing. So <laughs> she said she never saw that with anything else in her 30 some odd year teaching career. So if nothing else, it did that. That's, a, I mean, that's fantastic. Mic, yeah. Mic drop right there. How about that? You know, thank you for listening to TBD. <laughs> Can't beat it. <laughs> exactly. So um, I'm going to go next. The, I feel the most famous siblings in, in history, and this is, this is all of history. I think that had the most impact on what we do today are the Wright brothers, Orville and Wilbur Wright. Uh, 1903, first flight, first man flight, first flight with a motor that weighed more than the plane. Um, I, th I think they they changed the course of history, right? I mean, so I don't know if there's anybody else who could actually have done more uh, for the zeitgeist of, uh, of, of our lives than the Wright brothers. So um, they're, they're, obviously they're not the, the, the Wiley twins or whomever Sabrina said, but um, <laughs> you know, I think they're right up there. And they begin with W just like Sabrina. So right now we're on a little W. Okay. The Wileys and the, and the Wrights. <laughs> Weasleys, oh, well. but close. Oh, so Weasleys. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Either way. Yes. Got it. Got it. All right. I like it.
All right. And I got a ton, Connor. Don't don't end this segment because I got a ton of honorable mentions. A ton. Like a ton. Oh, okay. Yeah. You want, me to, go through, you want well, me to go through them now or you want to do yours first? Just go for it. I think um, you're just no, going to you keep you interrupting You do your first. See if we've got any time left for the rest of the show once you're done, Bill. <laughs> go ahead, Connor. You go next. Okay. Well, if I wanted to keep with the W's, there was one that popped to mind. Um, the Winklevoss twins. Oh, especially because <laughs> if I'm keeping with W's. Sure. But uh, my initial pick was uh, the Brian twins. So, the tennis players, the tennis players. Jesus, yes, they've been so impactful on on, on society. No fair, good one, Connor. PJ, I'm going to keep more on topic. This is generally no, 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 no. I'm just kidding, Pete, Connor. You have to explain yourself. Okay, first of all, you made this random like suddenly we were getting these curveballs of like it can be fictional, it can be most impactful. It's like <laughs> I was going with, like significant. And because this is more of a sports-related podcast, I was thinking sports. So within the sports realm, I do think uh, they don't get a lot of attention, which is why, obviously, the Williams sisters are the most famous. But um, I'm going to go to the Bryan brothers because they're within the racket family, but don't get enough uh, attention. So the, they were the doubles champion, most successful doubles pairing ever in history. Okay. So just to refute that, and they, not that they weren't, but just to refute your part of like, did I just jump in on this? I'm reading texts from Connor yesterday at 3.20 after I had asked him, let's do the R&R. Can you think of one? He said, yes, I'll think of one. Yesterday at 3.20, he texted me and said, and I won't swear because I know there's somebody listening to this podcast who doesn't like the fact that I swear too much on the podcast, so I won't swear. He said, Connor says, F man, time is really flying. I was about to send out invites. I really need to think of an R&R. <laughs> so there you go. So, so that's why Yes, Bill ran with that because otherwise we'd be sitting here staring at each other and asking Sabrina about like her 2011 JCT win in New Haven or something like that. So. I'm not disputing the like, I, I thought it was a really good topic, especially with her being on here, but it's like, let's let's focus it. So anyway. All right, go ahead. Uh, Brian, good let's one. not fight in front of the kids, okay. Bill. Sorry, sorry about that. PJ, let's hope you don't have like some other random like brothers or sisters who are so in insignificant as the Brian, no, no offense, Brian brothers, but seriously. I mean, you, you actually, you actually know one of these. So if you want to openly call him insignificant, I'll let you deal with that in person because he, he actually listens to the podcast. Uh Oh, all right. It's not going to be the first time you've put your foot in it. It's actually two brothers and a sister. Okay. And they're all squash players, Rodney Martin, Brett Martin and Michelle Martin. Uh -huh. Rodney Martin, as you know, is based at the, uh, Oxridge Club up in Connecticut, uh, world world champion in 1991, the only player ever to beat Jangir and Janshir in the same event. In actual fact, quarterfinals, semifinals and final in 91, he beat the world number one, two and three back to back in the same event. So it's never, that's a fitness. Whoa. Yeah, ridiculous stat. Yeah. Um, he reached as high as world number two, uh, did Rodney. Uh, his older brother, Brett, also um, one of the real, he kind of came kind of made squash call back in the day. He was like tall, dark, long flowing head. Like he did a lot of surfing when he was back home and always turned up with the tan on tour. And just the way that he played, he had this kind of unique style about him. Uh, also got to world number two. Then there's younger sister, the youngest of the three, three-time world champion, back to back, 93, 94, 95. Six British Opens, which is basically the equivalent of the World Championships. Wow. Two-time World Team Championship winner in 94 and 98. Two-time gold medal winner in the Commonwealth Games. In the She won the mixed doubles and she won the ladies' individuals in 1998 in Malaysia. Wow. World number one uh, for a number of years. So that... Either Brett or Michelle still involved with squash in any way, shape or form? Because obviously we know Rodney. 
Brett, not so much. Um, he he wrote, he relocated back to Oz. Michelle's over there. She's kind of on a project where they're trying to rejuvenate the life of the, of the game again down there. She's quite heavily involved. That to what capacity, I, I don't know. But she does a little bit of posting on social media, trying to you know. Obviously, she was privy to that whole era, that 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 golden generation that we call it, with your Dittmars and your Rodneys and. Um, Sarah Fitzgerald, Michelle Martin, that was kind of a golden period for Australia. And after that, it kind of completely fell off the edge of the cliff. And she's now in the throes of trying to build that back up again. So I know she I know she is heavily involved, but in exactly what. So they, they were the pre-Harry pre Potter era is what you're saying, correct? They were pre-Harry Potter, yeah. Got it, yeah. got it. I don't know, I would very much doubt whether they know what or who Harry Potter is either. So. Were the Martins <laughs> have a bigger impact on their sport than the Bryan brothers had on theirs, would you say? In their period, yes. How about how about how about overall? If you had to like rank their 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 effect on anything, like like are they like they're up here? The Bryan brothers are down here. I just, just want to grab. I'm just trying to wrap my head around the Bryan brothers right now. I don't know how how much of an impact the Bryan brothers had on the game worldwide and internationally. Maybe okay. in America. They oh, they sparked a doubles revolution. <laughs> it is like it is off the charts, guys. Yes. Uh, <laughs> This we know. To bring more I know. I know why you pick. I know why you pick them, and I can't say it because there's an off chance that the woman who used to manage them listens to this podcast. Who I am mortal enemies. It, it with. was. It, oh, she, okay. she asked me to. Oh, yeah. God. Oh, whoa, whoa. Contract <laughs> fulfilled. <laughs> Contract fulfilled. All right. So, PJ, good, great job, PJ. Great job. Thank you. So, I just have. I have a few. Uh, a few. I know you guys. I said to throw some. Um, you know, just some random ones out there, just in case. So, besides the Wright brothers, me personally. The Smith Brothers, who invented cough drops. The Smith Brothers cough drops. I mean, who doesn't use Smith Brothers cough drops? Who doesn't use cough drops? So obviously a huge impact on society. And just know their rivals opened up a store in Philadelphia a few years later, the Pine Brothers cough drops, uh, who opened up a store on Walnut Street and, in fact, invented the first actual gummy. So all those people who now ingest, like, you know, THC. What was it gummy, like witnessing that for the first time, Bill? <laughs> it was, you know, it was uncomfortable at the time. I was I was going to third grade. I had my little backpack and I had a sore throat, so I stopped by the Pine Brothers had, and, and, and took a look. Hey, PJ dropped one... off for the first time. <laughs> the, first, <laughs> the first of many. <laughs> wait, 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 wait! There's more. Hey, quick time out to hear a word from our sponsor. So, how are your squash courts looking these days? Are the ball marks starting to add up? Do your courts need some attention and care? Well, in the U.S., there's a new solution coming your way. Pro Sport Court can be your one-stop shop for all your court care needs, from standard cleaning, painting, floor sanding, all the way up to lighting upgrades. Pro Sport Court can have your courts looking like new. Reach out to squashradio at gmail.com to learn more. Now back to our show. Oh, he's back, and he's back. Is he back? Yeah. Joey, Joey, sorry, Joey Barrington just called. He's in Switzerland right now at the Zurich Open, and he's he's commentating with Johnny Williams, who drives him absolutely mad. <laughs> so he just needed to vent. I apologize. Sorry about that. Like, no, I don't yeah. know how to switch. It was a per it was a perfect transition from the history lesson we were getting. Well, um, just just know. So the Pine Brothers invented the gummy, basically. So they invented the cough drop. So there was a little rivalry between the Pine Brothers and the Smith Brothers. Both both important. So. Not to let the, leave the women out of it. And just know, I, I deep dove on this. Do you guys know who Ann Landers and Dab, Dare Abbey are? I know so, the second no. one. 
You guys don't know who, so they were old advice columns that used to be in every newspaper yeah, yeah, in the, the world. Like everyone, you, dear Abby, yeah, the people dear used to write, say, yeah. hey, my relationship's falling apart. They were like pre-internet, like, um, like who call me, call me daddy or who's your daddy or whatever that podcast is. <laughs> it was like, you know, that? do you know that podcast, Sabrina? Who's your daddy or no. call me daddy? No, okay. I don't. All right. Not spoiler. I, sh- I shouldn't either, mind you. Um, okay. So we'll, we'll skip them. You want to talk about the the brother team that invented fire? Are we going to go that far back in history? No, no, we'll go back. So then we're going to go far back to the 1500s. This is kind of going to bring it back to, and I'm, this might be the first uncomfortable question to have, go Sabrina's way. So um, prepare yourself. So back in the 1500s, we had the. Are you guys familiar with the Bolin sisters? Well, and as in and yes, and Anne and her sister are you, yeah, uh, Spanish. Uh, Mary. Are you are you familiar? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Anne and Mary. Boleyn, uh, Anne was the uh, King Henry VIII's wife in the 1500s. She was the Queen of England for three years until, and, and Mary, her sister, had an affair with King Henry before he married Anne. And once Anne became his wife of three years, he found out that she could not bear his children. So what did he do? He had, her, he had her beheaded. Yeah. So Sabrina, have you <laughs> ever wanted Amanda beheaded? <laughs> No. Okay. Okay. I mean, not yeah. literally, not literally, just just figuratively. Figuratively, maybe. Okay. All right. All right. All right. That was the lead-in. So that's all I have. I, I had a few others, but I don't. I know you guys have lost total interest in this topic. So. Oh my gosh! Yeah. We, <laughs> my eyes glazed over you, a little hey, bit. Hey, exactly. Can you see, can you see my phone? And and who's, who's calling me during the podcast? <laughs> we're well past the uh, time management skills, Bill. I'm going to answer. He's doing the rounds. Hey, hey, Joey. <laughs> Joey, you're on a podcast right now. Say hi. We're on your. You're on with Connor, Sabrina, and uh, PJ. Yeah, well, I thought I'd add some interest to it. I mean, if PJ's there, he's probably practicing his golf swing. <laughs> PJ's been very. He's been very good thus far. So far, he's only dropped off twice. You want to you want to ask Sabrina? You have one question to ask Sabrina because your oh audio God. is not very good. So go ahead, ask Sabrina. She, we just asked her if she ever wanted to see Amanda beheaded. So anything after that would be fine. I'll ask Sabrina. Is she still hungover? <laughs> no, I was the most informed on Saturday night. You can ask anybody. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Joey. We have to we have to continue That's with the podcast. <laughs> we have to continue with the podcast. It was nice speaking to you, though. All right, I gotta hang up. All right, well let's let's shift into the the squash portion of this bill. All right, that was fun. A little bill. Hey. We we can't get Joey on the podcast. We've invited him like a thousand times. Yeah, and uh, and Bill, because we know you're so eager to always jump in, why don't you uh, kick it off? I am. I'm just gonna. I'm trying to slide this off because Joey keeps calling me, and I can't. Ha- he's not gonna interrupt us. Okay. So Sabrina, the reason we had you on is because of your obviously your stellar uh, career in the past, as you know, as Connor said, one of the most decorated players in the history of the United States. But obviously, this last week in Philadelphia was one for the books for you. Um, your run to the uh, to the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open, including a win over Hanya El Hamami uh, on Monday night. Um, Coming off of that, have you had time to come down from that? Um, talk about that win. Talk about th- that match. Talk about like the aftermath of that match. Give us the uh, the, the rundown of that whole night after that, the, the match during when it happened in the aftermath. Yeah, um, I was very pleased with how the week went. I don't think I could have asked for a better one, to be honest. Um, I even thought like my performance in all every um, every round was way better than at least the start of the season which I was feeling like super tense and anxious and just not having fun on court. Although I was 
was practicing and leading up to the each event well. And then as soon as like the game time started, it was just like kind of in shambles and all over the place to the point where I was just so crushed. I felt like I like literally forgot how to play squash entirely. And, and I think just having the event at home um, and having like three disappointing performances in, in the past, the previous events, I was just kind of like, honestly, I need to figure out another way to approach um, how I'm competing because I'm just having a terrible time on court. Just so tense, so anxious, um, just completely like not how I ever want or how any player wants to be on court. So I think just having that mindset shift helped a lot. And I even felt a difference in the first the first match. And I felt like, okay, like this is actually the way I'm approaching this is it's nice. I took each match as a practice match and knew that Afterwards, I can just go home. Obviously, the home advantage was huge. I, I would sleep in my own bed. I had everything comfortable and um, surrounding me that my, I mean, my friends and family and my coach, it, it made a huge difference. I really did that I can now appreciate um, more so than ever before. And I think I honestly have never played better squash in my life on Tuesday night, I think it was. And I really like don't even know how to explain it. It was just everything really clicked. I was very, I was most calm on court. Obviously, I had no pressure, but um, I think that can only get you so far. It was a mix of feeling relaxed, but also focused and content with my performances already. There was no expectations. There was no tension trying to reach a higher, like, goal it was I was like already very pleased with how I what it was and and going into the match I felt very content and and in the, my past positive performances in my career like when I do notice that feeling when I'm warming up I'm just kind of like I don't really I don't need to force like high energy music I am like not anxious that I haven't like uh, prepared well enough like I'm just very like going into the motions and happy to chat with whoever's around like I'm not like trying to force anything um I had a feeling I was gonna play well was I aware that I was gonna have the best performance of my life not at all and I think I just rolled with it and it worked out really well and I couldn't have asked for a better one but yeah was there, was there any significant moment in the middle of that match where you said, oh, my God, I, I could beat Hanya Alhamami tonight? Yeah, I was trying to avoid that mentality completely. Anytime I think about winning, it goes south, whether I'm up three love in the first game or, you know, match ball up. Like anytime I think about having won the match, it just disappears for me completely. So I worked and did everything I possibly could to just focus on each point and to avoid that actually. And uh, I never, maybe like towards the end, it was getting more of a challenge to stay in that mindset. But I think I successfully, even when I had a few match balls in the the fourth, I was like, like could be playing love, love all, it's the first point. Like never once tried to think about anything after that, which is why I think the aftermath was so severe. Have you um have you actually watched the match back yet? I have. You have. So, how many how, how many times? I did the next 
Just once. Um, just once and once. Just curious, can you, after watching the match, can you relate to how you felt or did, when you watched the match back, did it, did you feel like you played as well as you did at the time? Or when you watched the match back, were those two feelings very different from actually being out there playing to them watching it back? Would you say those two feelings are quite in line? Because sometimes it's quite a big difference between when a player watches a game back and they feel like they haven't necessarily played particularly well. But then when they reflect upon it after the game, it, it sometimes is, is very different from that actual feeling. Does that make sense? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I felt like I was playing well that in that moment. I, yeah. I did. It was just like, I didn't have to overthink anything. It was just felt very natural. And, um, I mean, my shots were going in, like, I, I was very just like, okay, this is great. I'm not even going to try and think about what I'm doing because it seems to be working right now. Yeah. Um, and when I watched it the next day, like I was, I don't know, it was, it was cool to see it in fruition a little bit. Yeah, that's what I meant. And what about, did you get nervous at the end watching, watching it back? I mean, that whole match ball scenario was just oh, crazy, yeah. crazy, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, well, I actually, like, I mean, I really thought I had to, was go, going to have to replay it. Like, yeah. from what Andrea said in the, initially, she said that she couldn't do anything about the out ball. So I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to get upset about this, even though I was fuming. But, like, I was just like, okay. I'm going to replay this point. And then all of a sudden she was like, oh, there's clarification that the ball was out. And I was like, thank God, because <laughs> Hanya, if anything, Hanya is like one to come back from anything. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I was like, I don't. I, I, think, I think a lot of people were feeling that for you because obviously you had a fantastic tournament of champions as well. You had some match balls against uh, El Arabi, was it? Yeah. yeah. Match ball situations there. And you had two or three match balls prior to the match ball itself. And it was because I was commentating mm -hmm. on it, and it was it was quite funny because the boast had gone in, your backhand boast had gone in. Hania had slipped; she'd fallen on the floor. She'd hit the ball, yeah. And then obviously you'd completely stopped, and your face—you need to see it. Your face was a picture because you're like it was pure desperation. You're like, is there nothing I can do to come? <laughs> yeah. See that the ball's out, and Andrew, yeah, because the rules are the rules. Which have now changed, thankfully. The central referee had the power to make that decision because she was uncertain. Mm -hmm. But then I was in the commentary booth and the VR, it was, they replayed it, the TV crew replayed it to the video ref who saw that the ball actually hit the line. And fortunately, he then transferred that through to uh, Andrea and yeah. then came through. And it was, you know, crazy. Everything about uh, a huge blessing, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I honestly wouldn't be able to tell you what would have happened if if we had to replay that point. I couldn't be certain that I would have won that. <laughs> no, your head would have been in absolute turmoil at that, at that stage. Yeah. From from the thought of winning one of the biggest matches of your career to yeah. then, you no, know, go and replay the point again. I mean, anyway. <laughs> would, no, would oh, lucky. Well, one of the things I've noticed with you, Serena, is, is in those – uh, whether it's momentum shifts or big points like that where it doesn't go your way, you, you tend to reset so well. Like, kind of, like, hey, forget it, get back in the moment. Like, what, what do you, what's your practice for that? Like, mentally, like, what do you, what do you, what's going through your head? I think, um, well, I think I did it really well this past tournament. I can't say that I'm always like that. Um, and I think just resetting, 
I've been trying it out like some breath work this past week or the week of the um, the tournament and that seemed to help. Um, I think also just like understanding that like it, it's okay if I'm down a few points, it's okay if I'm up a few points, like kind of just like to neglect that those ideas and really just focus on just playing like one good shot after the other and like really just simplify it as best as I can. That seems to help me. Have you watched, uh, I saw on, on Squash TV or on YouTube, I forget what it was. There's a slow motion point of you and uh, uh, Hamami. Have you watched that yet? Like they, they, they super slow, super, super slow-mo it. It might, it may have just come out today. Go, go ahead and do yourself a favor and watch it. Um, it's in, it's almost to the point where like they should show squash in super slow motion like that because it's the, for non-squash fans it's a great way to show like how difficult the sport really? is and, and how athletic it is it's incredible it's an incredible point i it doesn't there's no context in the video unfortunately so i don't know when the point is but at one point you hit a uh, a, a a boast and as you hit the boast it goes to the back wall and a maniacal smile comes on your face while the point's still in play and hanya's retrieving the ball and I had just watched the Jeffrey Dahmer Netflix show. And if you had goggles on, it was like spinning image of Jeffrey Dahmer when he like killed his first person. It was crazy. Like you had like the craziest smile on your face ever. So I, I, you, I'll send you, I'll send you the video. It's absolutely nuts. And then you, you ended up winning the point on an unbelievable drop shot. And it's just such a cool video. And while I was watching, I was like, number one, TSA TV, great job. Number two, they need to put like some trippy music behind that because if you are like under the influence of any kind of narcotics and you watch that, it would be like the greatest thing ever because I watched it like on a cup of coffee and it was incredible, but throw some trippy music behind it. And it would be, you guys, you guys ever watched like the Pink Floyd Wizard of Oz combo mashup? I've actually seen that. You have. So do you remember when they do it? I, I, I always forget the name of the, the song. I love Pink Floyd. Oh, okay. So, you know, so, you know, great gig in the sky, that song, right? Yeah. So great gig in the sky. There's as part of that uh, mashup of the dark side of the moon and Wizard of Oz. It's they do the they yeah, do the twister, and it lines up, and it is so wild. And the music plays. If they did something like that with that video, I may do it myself. I may have Connor do it because I'm not technically capable. It would be the coolest <laughs> thing do. ever. Yeah, I'll send you the video. Yeah, do some Pink Floyd yeah. for sure. So yeah, it was absolutely incredible. So um, cool. I just, just thought uh, I just sure thought I'd throw that, that out there. I will. I will. Sorry, sorry to derail that conversation, guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bill making guests feel uncomfortable since 2018. Uh, <laughs> she likes Pink Floyd. What can I tell you? True. No, we, we, you turned the corner on that. You went from yeah. uh, uh, likening her to a serial killer. And then you Just like the Pink Floyd? Dude, you like watch, Pink Floyd? The, watch the video. Watch the video. I mean, okay. the minute she hits that bow, she knows that it's going to be a winner coming up. And like the, the look on her face changed dramatically. It was crazy. Absolutely. I was probably just smiling that I was like still yeah. in the rally. You know? <laughs> you so I was just thinking like, about the post. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could have just said generically, like, you've got this great killer instinct. Everyone be fine with that. Like, no problem. That's what I meant to say, Sabrina. Great okay. killer instinct. How can we grow the sport of squash? Have you ever thought about that? I've really enjoyed all the different ways I've learned about how to help it grow. But the truth is, there is no silver bullet to achieve great success. In fact, it's really about many pieces of the puzzle coming together to help get this done. However, one of the biggest untapped potentials that I've been excited about for over 10 years is the concept of building outdoor squash courts. But not just squash courts, think outdoor squash clubs. 
Either way, it's a great way to get more visibility for the sport and experience a different way to enjoy and share the sport we love. If you think there's an opportunity to get some courts in your area, reach out to us at squashradio at gmail.com. That's squashradio at gmail.com. And I can share the latest of what's going on in the sport and let's help open up the sport. So Sabrina, just talk about um so where you where you are now, obviously your 19th rank in the world. Um back in when you first joined the Pro Tour full time back like in the 2019 area, when you went on your run, you went to Cairo, you tr- and stop me if I'm wrong about any of this. You went to Cairo, started training um, full time in Cairo, and you went on a run where you won three straight PSA events uh, in London, Monte Carlo and Pakistan, kind of launched your PSA career, got you ranking points, got you into the main draws of, of big events. So talk about that. Um, your your tradition transition from basically starting out you know went to harvard kind of treaded lightly on the psa tour to becoming a full-time uh, psa player yeah um my transition to egypt was it was definitely great for my squash um and i didn't really have another idea of where i where else i could be based i i was pretty keen to play professionally but i'm not gonna lie like a, a main contributing factor to why I was playing pro was that I wasn't really certain of anything else to do. Um, I was excited of the adventure of living in Cairo, but I don't know, to be honest, um, it certainly wasn't for me entirely. It's also the transition from kind of a uh, senior year where after the squ- the college squash season, season, there wasn't much squash going on. Um, just kind of enjoying myself in college and then I did have the like the Pan American Games as that like transitional event period um and then went to Cairo but it was it felt like it was a lot of like zero to a hundred especially with just even even the training in Cairo compared to the training here in Philadelphia like it's tremendous it it really is and and the way that the lifestyle is with um kind of like d- driving a lot like being in the car a lot and just like kind of the heat in general like it, it was a bit draining and I didn't ever feel like I was refreshed or relaxed like everything just felt like an extra grind um but I mean it did set my squash up and it, it showed me um like what the top pros do how they train what their lifestyle is like and like it, it definitely was inspiring and admirable and impressive for the most part like just seeing that like people of all ages, I mean, the top pros were able to, I mean, I was on court with all the top pros. It's very humbling. So um, that was great. And I did have a good little run in those those tournaments. Um, I think I was eager also to try and get into the, t- the top events. And I knew that I had to start somewhere. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm- Curious, you just touched on it briefly there. You spent a big period back in Cairo and now you're based over down in Philly. How would you compare the two setups? Because you said there that the it kind of gave you an introduction as to what professional squash life was all about. Um, from what I know of a lot of the Egyptian players, they, they seem to be not disorganised, but they have their own way of doing things, which isn't generally in sync or in line with the way a lot of 
the other countries would probably play, practice or train. Uh, what, how is that experience down there different, would you say? Um, I, would, I don't know if they're like that disorganized. I feel like their coaches, even their fitness coach and their squash coach, like are always in communication and they kind of have a, a whole like holistic plan about their entire week. Yeah. Um, if anything, like, I feel like the way I've been doing things has a bit been disorganized. Like I kind of just like throw in training sessions here and there without like really a, a solid communication base about like what I should be doing, when I should be doing it, especially like leading up to tournaments. So I think they did that really well. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's just like, we would do like fitness and then straight into a squash session with the coach and then like rest and then like a practice match or condition games in the evening. And yeah. And there's, it's, I mean, it's admirable that yeah. the players don't even think twice about it. The Egyptian players, they do that three, four times a week. Yeah. Um, and like consistently as well. So I think that's the main difference. I, I can't say that I play squash twice a day in Philly more than two, three times, no, maybe two times a week. Like it's pretty much one fitness session and one solid squash session, maybe with like a solo in there somewhere. Are you left to deal with that all by yourself then? So basically you're in charge of your your kind of journey, so to speak. With being based out of the US center, is there nobody that oversees or monitors the programs and the schedules of the players? That's all left down to the individuals themselves? I would say it's mostly left down to the individuals and their like autonomy working with their own coach a little bit. Like we do have the flexibility, but we do have um, specific group sessions that we have to attend at the squash center. So I think those are like kind of like the basis of our, our week. And then we can add in where and when we fit, see fitting for other training sessions. Tougher, tougher to drive in Cairo or find a parking space in Philly? <laughs> tougher to drive in Cairo. All right. Did you drive? <laughs> no, she went on a bike. <laughs> Not in no, Cairo. No, I just don't know. In Philly, I, I, I ride my bike everywhere. Yeah. You drove, so you drove in Cairo, though? I, I tried it a little bit. I got behind the wheel like maybe three or four times. Fr frightening experience? It was okay. Thrilling, but frightening and thrilling. Better to be the driver or, or uh, passenger? The passenger. Definitely. I just read in the car while my dad drives or an Uber. It's, it's nice. You just kind of don't pay attention to what's going on yeah. around you. I had a question about the tour, um, you know, making that transition kind of the first year or two. It's just finding your bearings, getting used to what a tour schedule looks like. And then you can try and find those pockets of like, hey, this is what I'm going to look forward to as I travel, because it's a pretty unique opportunity to travel around the world and do that. So away from the squash, is there anything that when you're going to these cities that you try and put on your bucket list, like I want to go do this activity or try this restaurant or try this experience? Like, what, what, And I know that you have the artistic uh, side, which we'll get to, but what, what are those experiences that you're looking forward to on tour? Yeah, I think um, the past year, like, Honestly, the travel is just was a huge burnout. Like we went to the same place, uh, countries and tournaments for the whole year, pretty much. So I was like, by the end of it, you're so burnt out of the travel and you've been there X amount of time. So there's no like exciting aspects. 
mm-hmm. um, which is disappointing because the travel part is a huge, um, it's a huge piece of the the co- career, and it is the mo- the coolest and kind of like the most uh, impressive part of it, and things that can be like the most exciting. So um, it's cool that we have a lot more tournaments on the calendar this year. I actually have three um, pretty exciting trips coming up. Starting Friday, I'm going to go to Australia for an event, which I'm really looking forward to as it's a new spot for me. And and I definitely, when I go to a new city like that, it's you add extra days there just to make sure that you make the most of it. So I think it's safe to say that like now that hopefully that COVID, knock on wood, it's, it's kind of in the, the past and it's behind us a little bit. So we have more opportunities to go to new foreign cities um and i think that's when the excitement really comes back rather than like when there's nothing to look forward to in a city i mean i don't want to i love cairo but i I mean i have been there a a million times since i was like five years old right 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 i dread every second of that travel i'm not (laughs) nothing is like anywhere but here what if what if it's when it's in elguna or that kind of stuff does that I'm, I'm not even a big Guna fan. It's not the city itself. It's the travel part. Like, sure. Just okay. the idea. Yeah, like, but man, Australia. Everything. Australia's going to be a hike. It's going to be a hike. But like when I get there, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Going to be like at least something to look forward to. Are you going from, from Australia to New Zealand? Yes. And then you're going to New Zealand to Singapore? Yeah. Wow. So, so New Zealand to Singapore is like 10 hours also. So, yeah, I mean, just daunting. You guys travel so much. not daunting. know. <laughs> Sorry. Like like, three, four I'm hours just learning like... this now. I don't no. know how to feel. Singapore to Hong Kong is three hours. So, there you go. I'm not so there's going that. to Hong Kong. Oh, okay. So, you're going in the heart of summer as well. It's going to be summertime down there, which would be great. Spring. We're coming into the winter. But Australia, yeah. Australia to Singapore is only about seven hours, Bill, I think. Uh, okay. Did, did my, did hey, my deep, deep dive on New Zealand. On... Uh, no, from so New, she's he's, she's going from New Zealand to Singapore, and that's ten, is it? That's according to my deep dive. When I went through uh, Sabrina's calendar today, uh, this morning, and was outlining her travel, <laughs> my Google I Cal. But I, I yeah, he, broke into her he Google Cal. Broke into your Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Doing my research yeah. for the podcast. It's not all just about siblings, you know. It's I had a, I had to delve into her career also. By the way. <laughs> But Connor, so, Connor uh, bring us back. But is there a pl- yeah. is there a thing that you you try and like a bucket list stuff that you try and do for an experience off court uh, in each city you try and experience? Yeah, if it's new, for sure. Yeah. Like I have a list of things. I I mean I have um, a buddy who's helped me out who's from Sydney and has shared a bunch of things to do. So I hope to accomplish all those and then move on to the next one. Anything you want to divulge? You're being awful secretive about it. Are you doing something else? Oh, you I mean, shouldn't be doing? No, <laughs> I just like don't know. I haven't like fully read it through yet. All right, okay. saving it for until I get, get there. There's a lot of things to do before we'll that. We'll do the recap. The recap. This <laughs> bill, basically. What's that? My good. I know. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's fair. It's very fair. <laughs> um. Uh, so, so my question, so Connor, talk about you were going to delve into Sabrina's artistic, uh, artistic side. So why don't you bring that up for us? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I actually don't know much other than what I can see on Instagram and you have a whole dedicated channel to that, but like, talk about what, um, it's mostly drawing and other kind of uh, artistic endeavors you like to do. T- talk a little bit about that. 
she doesn't really like to talk about stuff, so we'll, we'll see what we get out of this. So. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I love art. I lo always have had a passion and appreciation for art. Like, actually, art museums would be one of the things that I would try and go to if there's a good one um, in the city that we're we're playing. Um, but I don't know. I get like some peace from it. It's I am a creative person, and I find some pleasure in just like sitting down and drawing a little bit. It's a very mindful activity as well, so it's a perfect one for before um, tournaments and, and matches, to be honest. I think uh, I, I do the most art when I'm at a tournament. Um, the training days, and it can get busy, and you kind of just, it's not on the top priority, but when I'm in a tournament, there's a lot more downtime. Um, so I actually do the most there, and... It just like kind of calms me down. It brings me into the present moment. It's, I, I find it really fun. A lot of it's just like abstract drawing. So it's soothing and just, I don't know, releases some creativity, which is nice and sparks some creativity for hopefully the matches and being on court. <laughs> and I, I, I do see that it's mostly abstract, but it like, do you like what using things in real life for inspiration and try and uh, make an abstraction out of that? Or how do you, how do you approach um, it? Not the abstract stuff. It just kind of, I don't know, just goes randomly and then evolves. Um, but I do like to draw like some still life stuff and things like that. Like you easily bring like a some sketchbook to the park and I don't know, draw a little bit there. <laughs> and any piece that you're particularly proud of? Um, yeah, I have some really cool ones that I like. Uh, I mean... I wouldn't be able to even tell you which ones they were there, <laughs> but yeah, there are some art, uh, pieces that I, I feel like are particularly cool. And to be honest, they make great gifts. So my whole oh, family nice. has some showcase ah. <laughs> around. So it's good. If you were to, you know, could snap your fingers and make a career transition would would pursuing the arts be something you like, or is that really more of a creative outlet and a hobby that helps? Actually, yeah, it would be something I like. I, I think it would be a great career. Um, it's not, I mean, it's similar to squash where you probably don't make too much money unless you get find some huge <laughs> sponsor to buy one of your paintings. But I think it'd be so cool. Like, I mean, why not just sit around and kind of have a, lifestyle that's similar to what Monet did and <laughs> in France back in the day. I think that would be very pleasant. Very cool. So uh, not we, we know you're on a time crunch here. So um, a couple, one last question about uh, this season uh, going forward, you've kind of outlined your schedule, um, what's coming up for you. Talk about your your goals for this year, the new season season. I mean, you played a ton of tournaments already, but you do have quite a journey ahead of you. Talk about your uh, your goals for the 22-23 season, where you want to be when this season ends. Yeah, um, that's a great question. I think uh, I definitely at the start of the season set some like ranking-based goals and some results-based goals. And to be quite honest, I haven't always been a goal setter. Uh, I think this is probably the first year that I have set some goals and, and they are important for keeping that motivation and that clarity and your purpose a little bit, but just knowing, seeing how the first start of the season went and kind of my performance in this past week, um, I kind of feel the need to shift those goals a little bit. So they're less 
um, outcome-based and more just kind of like holistic and gearing towards performance in the sense of like trying to have like enjoy enjoyment or like just in order to play well rather than like focusing on winning or losing um, because to me that's I mean I understand that that's a huge part of the the, the career and the goals but it doesn't really sit, sit well with me it just kind of adds more tension than um, drive so I mean, that being said, I do, of course, have some ranking goals, but I don't want to add pressure to myself by making that the end all. I think if I can just enjoy myself like I did the last week in each of those matches, then it's all going to sort itself out. So I think some more goals are really like I started working with sports psychologists just so I can just feel free on court and feel content regardless of if I come off as a winner or have having lost the match. So I don't know. That's kind of where my head's at at the moment. Is that is do you, helpful. Do you feel the, do you feel pressure to hire Gregory Galtier as your coach? Like everyone else's? <laughs> I don't, he's a great coach and he'd be fantastic, but he seems like he is a bit busy right now. A little bit, just a little bit busy. I like that. He plays both sides of it. Like both players are in the finals. Like that he coaches both. It's awesome. He's got it made. So shout out, shout out Greg Galtier. Exactly. I, I've never seen a tournament like it, that US Open. Obviously, we've got the introduction of coaches coming back. But at one point, I can't remember who was playing, but there were more coaches than players. <laughs> there were. There was <laughs> Rodney Martin, Gregory Gortier, Kyle Hindi, Jonathan yeah. uh, uh, Robert mm. Owen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> there were two guys on the court. It was like, uh, that's funny. That's funny. Hilarious. I, I mean, I think they needed to keep the uh, the AED equipment available. I saw Rob Owen on court a lot, and it, it did not look good at times. I was like getting nervous. I was like, somebody's gonna have to shock him back after a few more post drive drills. Uh, I was just curious. Um, speaking of coaches, actually, on that same theme, um, it's made very public that Ali Farag does a lot of work with Mike Way. I think Mike also did a little bit with Noro Tired. You were four years under his guidance at Harvard. Um, what were your takings from from Mike as a coach? Uh, he, he comes across quite chill, quite laid back. He's always there scribbling these notes away. But how did you find him and your time with him while you were at, uh, at university? Yeah, um, Mike is a fantastic coach. And um, to be quite honest, I don't know if I took advantage of his coaching skills in college. I think my approach was just like... I was a bit burned out, so and he and he knew that, and I think what how much I respected him, as a result was because he he didn't put the gas on the he didn't like put the pedal to the metal or whatever, um, he was really like kind of hands off and was like okay I'm not gonna force Sabrina she's kind of been forced into the squash her whole life. Can I can I just stop the uh, you were burned out played number one all four seasons four times. <laughs> that just spells burnt out performance yeah <laughs> well i don't know how it happened but i mean i loved the team so that kept me going and that kept me motivated in itself but yeah i was definitely burned out from squash and i don't know if in the moment like how receptive i was of his coaching and, and i think he knew that it was a kind of an unspoken agreement where i was like don't force me on this. I'll do my best on court. And he was like, just do your best on court yeah. and enjoy it. And, and that was helpful. But what now, that, 
that's what it seems like with him. His, his man management skills seem very accurate. The way he, yeah. he gets, he realizes some players need an arm around their shoulder, another person needs a kick up the backside, or whatever it, it is required to get the best out of that individual. He kind of knows how to do that. That's what it seems like from from the outside. Yeah, absolutely. He just wants what's best for his his player, and and he has a good um, view of how to achieve that, which is was huge in college. And actually, like now, I love seeing him around at tournaments. He's been he's been a huge support, and and I text him and can like get in touch with him when he's around and throughout tournaments, just to because he's he's so he is so wise and he knows he knows yeah. me quite well. So he knows what I'd like to hear and how I can perform my best on court. So I think having him at these tournaments because of like Ali and Nor, um, it's, it's awesome. And he's always going to be somebody who is on my side and um, yeah. support. So I think it's only a, it's only a huge win to have that. And I, he obviously is, he does his job well. Like I don't think the world number one and these yeah. professionals would you know, really yep. have him around if he wasn't serious about it. Yeah. Uh, I, so one of my questions was uh, is actually around fans, and I, I think it can be a, a, an interesting transition to go from, um, you know, I'm, I'm becoming a top tour professional, you know, you're in the top 20, you're on Squash TV a lot, you're around these events, you're becoming a role model, and, if, uh, you know, people are, are cheering for you and fans. So is there a fun fan story or touching moment that you've had of like where you're like, yes, I'm really, this is strange being this PSA player, but I, this was a really uh, special moment for you. Like was, was that, does that ring a bell with, or any moment uh, for you? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if any particular moment stands out. Um, I mean, definitely over the past couple months and last season, like you notice it more and more a little bit, just like even simply like being at the Dunlop stand and having like, little kids line up to ask you to sign their hats and balls and you know posters like that like it's really cute and it it reminds you of like how niche this sport is and like how special it is in comparison to a lot of other careers like you yeah. tend to you lose sight of that so easily and then when you're like kind of approached in a random tournament or even like especially in this the u.s open when there was like the jct going on and like this other like squash community thing going on. And then you're kind of like stopped in, in the street around the Drexel Penn campus, like saying like, Oh, are you Sabrina? Like, it, it's so cute. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's nice. Sweet. Uh, and then my last question um, was around, um, give us a sneak peek behind the Sobe family. And what I'm curious is like around, uh, let's call it like Thanksgiving or Christmas. You're doing a family get together. How much a how much squash talk goes on? Is it like you guys don't even talk about it, or is squash like what percentage of the conversation I, is? Occurring? I could guess if their dad's there. I reckon it's probably the entire. <laughs> Surprisingly enough, my mom is kind of a bigger squash nut than my dad. Oh really? No. Yeah. So she. I mean, there's a lot of squash talk. Like it's always like me and Amanda like looking, giving each other the eyes, like. <laughs> When is this gonna stop? Like every always, like my brother's involved in squash. Even now, his fiance is like, she knows all the players and who they are yeah. and all the tournaments so, coming up. Like, like it sounds like ninety percent is what I'm hearing. <laughs> I mean, 
There isn't maybe not that high, but Okay, okay. There's a big squash talk and they, we definitely like have to kind of rein them in a bit, Amanda and I, for sure. <laughs> We're not the ones driving the squash talk ever. <laughs> well, uh, so on that, like away from squash talk, is there is there an activity or like a topic that like it could be playing Jenga or playing Xbox? Is there anything that then becomes like what the family takes partakes in and is there a lot of debate or, or or trash talking that kind of stuff what's that we we are a big games family like we love one of the biggest games that we play always it's kind of like a we have to when we're all together it's called spinner and it's kind of like dominoes it's kind of i don't know if it's not very that popular but it's a game that really brings out like <laughs> the competition in the field. I'm like the least co- competitive. I was going to say, who's the most competitive? What's the my ranking mom. order? My <laughs> mom is the most competitive of all time. I don't know what gets into her. Um, I'm the least. I'm like, I'm just doing this because it's fun. And I usually have some wine or some beers around. But I'm like, this gets some hand. And then I'm going to Omar. Like, they're up there as competitive for sure. But. Well, those are the two things I'm going yeah. to look up after this podcast is is Willard Willard from Harry Potter and Spinner the game because I don't know anything about either Weasley. one of those. Weasley sorry <laughs> yeah and, and, and so Brian yeah. Brothers they're, they're no, I know they're going to get a huge fun. jump yeah. so so last last question yeah. of the podcast because I know you have to go um, twenty years from now thir- let's say thirty years from now you're um, fifty five years old you're retired from the PSA tour um, you look back. Your greatest win from the time you're age 25 to before, was it over Hanya El Hamami or was it in 2014 when you beat Amanda for the national championship? <laughs> I think it was this past week against Hanya. Okay, Just so that because, you- and, and I'll explain why. I think, I think I, I mean, I wanted it a lot more this past week in right currently than I did in in 2014 like I mean it was incredible that I won that but I don't know it wasn't like wasn't something that was my huge aspiration like I feel so passionate with squash right now and back in almost eight years ago like it was just a job like I mean it was a job when it wasn't a job and now it's like fun when it is a job um (laughs) it's funny how it works out that way yeah absolutely Um, but yeah like I mean, just having the support that I had this last week in comparison to um, the Nationals, I mean, it's something special. And it, this is something I'll remember as the greatest win to date, for sure. Well, I think I as think U.S. Also, squash fans, we also we also feel the exact same way. It was definitely the highlight of that tournament, and it was a thrill for everyone who's been following your career. Um, we appreciate you being on here and talking about it. Um, it was as much fun listening to you talk about it as it was watching it. thanks yeah Yeah, i appreciate it thanks for listening to another show on sqr squash radio we really do appreciate you taking the time to listen and we have a quick ask in an effort to help us grow if you have a quick minute please consider sharing an episode with a friend who might be interested or leaving a rating on any of the platforms you listen to your podcast it would mean a lot to me and the rest of the team Thanks so much and have a great day.